Little Catskill. Right after the local edition. WJFF Jeffersonville, W233AH Monticello. Radio Catskill. Local news, culture, and NPR. Good evening and welcome to the local edition. Live from Radio Catskill Studios in Liberty, New York. I'm your host, Jason Dole. Coming up, Snow and W. It's an event that's coming up. Sponsored by the Sullivan O&W Rail Trail Alliance. Talk to Heather Jaxie from Sullivan County Planning coming up in the second half of the show to learn more about it. But first up, the new village law and how one wealthy neighborhood got itself exempted from state law. New York Focus is the independent newsroom reporting on how power and politics in New York impact your life and how the state really works. Radio Catskills partner with New York Focus to regularly bring you their in-depth journalism. And this story is about a recent New York law enacted to increase the difficulty for towns to incorporate as villages. The previous village law was more than 100 years old and deemed outdated by officials who said it didn't reflect contemporary community planning practices. So a bill passed both the state assembly and Senate in New York to address this issue, but... Some upcoming villages, including one in Sullivan County, will be exempt from the new regulations. Sam Mellons from New York Focus is on the phone to tell us more. Sam, welcome back to the show. Thanks so much, Jason. Good to be here. So um, if we could start off by just talking about, well, I guess let's let's start off about this law. And and first off, is everything I said in the introduction accurate? And if so, what's what was the old law and what's the new law and why did it change? Yeah, so I would just make one small change to what you said in the introduction, was that this law was about parts of towns, like sections or neighborhoods within them. Communities, Incorporating themselves as villages. Yeah, communities, you could say, right? And historically in New York, there's been a very low threshold to do that. Basically, if you have an area that makes some sense, like a fire district or a, a school district or something like that with at least 500 people, and you you can have a petition, then have a referendum, and then you're a village. And the new law was passed to create some additional requirements, mostly to ensure the financial stability of new villages, um, because there's been uh, at least two instances in New York history, one relatively recent on Long Island, where a village incorporates, and then it turns out it becomes insolvent, the tax base isn't big enough, it has to dissolve, and the town that it's in is left with a lot of debt. Um, so the the bill was 
designed to ensure that that doesn't happen, but also to ensure that the town, that the village is inside, isn't harmed by the incorporation. Because if it's, uh, you know, sort of the opposite, if it's a very wealthy area that incorporates, that takes much of its tax revenue, that could have a negative effect on the town. So it's sort of to more closely monitor the fiscal impacts of forming new villages. Right. And it seems like some some proposed villages were uh, had incorporated or were in the process of incorporating or uh, were thinking of incorporating or taking another shot and incorporating again. Are are there more than than one village in the state that are exempt? Because your article is about one particular one that we're going to get into here. But are there more than one that, that are exempt? Yes. So the village of Edgemont, or the proposed village, rather, of Edgemont in, in Westchester, you know, some miles, uh, just, just north of Yonkers, pretty much, is exempt from this law. And then the, uh, <laughs> I've, uh, I, this, 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 as you said, wasn't, wasn't part of my article. I've been reading the, been catching up, reading the local coverage on it. I believe the proposed village of Atera, sort of more, more, more in, your, in your area, is also exempt from the law. Although I understand that's somewhat a subject of legal dispute right now, whether or not it is indeed exempt from the new requirements. Yeah, um, you know, so yeah, a new village named Terrace is proposed in Sullivan County, and uh, a vote that took place on January 18th uh, voted in favor of it overwhelmingly. Uh, however, uh, official certification awaits approval from uh, Judge uh, Stephen Schick. Um, and this village was initiated by the, the Vinzitz Hasidic community in Kaimisha Lake. And, um, uh, the voting process was briefly interrupted due to legislative changes, uh, prompting an order to show cause, uh, upon confirmation of election results, a final approval will be sought from the state under village law. And, uh, that's according to, uh, Thompson town attorney, Michael Mednick. So that's, that's kind of the local, Angle, but let's talk about let's talk about this Westchester County village that you you did this deep dive in because as you point out in the article, not only does this have implications for the the proposed village and the town that it would be leaving, um, and the people that live in those places, but it also sh- shines some light into how Albany works uh, in the way that you report it. Yeah, I think so. So uh, you know, very few. People uh, in in the state or among your listeners perhaps live in the town of Greenberg or in the proposed village of Edgemont. But I think it's how the whole episode unfolded that resulted in that that community being exempt from the law is very instructive into sort of how deals are how the sausage is made in Albany, as as they say. Right. So I mean, this isn't the first. First off, what was interesting as I read your article was learning. It's not just that Edgemont wants an exception because it's it's ready to incorporate as a village, but this is a place that's tried in the past and was not able to. Yeah, it's tried. Uh, I mean, you know, talk of of Edgemont, which is you know very a sort of ritzy neighborhood in the town of of Greenberg, you might say. Uh, talk of Edgemont incorporating as a village has been going on for decades, and in recent years, it's sort of. Uh, got got a, 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 a kickstarted in recent years when the town of Greenberg uh, reassessed its property tax valuations, which uh, put more of the tax burden, you know, some people would say justly, uh, on Edgemont, where property values are very high. And this got this, and among other things, 
among other things, got people really talking about whether they should consider forming their own independent village. Uh, they've tried twice in recent years. Both of those petitions were tossed out by New York State judges for not meeting the various legal requirements of forming a new village. Um, and they're currently in the process of trying again. So we'll, we'll see if third time is the charm for them. Right. And the implications of this, as you said, this is this is a, the wealthiest community within the town of Greenberg. So that means a hit to the taxes uh, that that town's collecting. When I talked to the town supervisor, he was sort of listing things that he thinks could be eliminated if Edgemont uh, incorporates as a village, the community center, job training programs. Uh, career, you know, sort of uh, computer literacy programs. The people who are leading the incorporation effort dispute this. They they think they have sort of different calculations and say there wouldn't be such a big hit to the town's tax revenue. But I think it's not it's not uh, totally certain uh, which how, how it would really shake out. A real standout quote in this article is from uh, Greenberg Town Supervisor uh, Paul Feiner saying. Uh, quote, let's say the wealthy areas of Fifth Avenue would want to break away from New York City because they don't want to pay for the services in Harlem, you know, and that's that's his quote there, essentially saying that th this is a similar sort of thing. Th that has two implications, uh, and, the, and the first one uh, is financial. But first I want to say, like, that's you, – you, you cite the, the pro-incorporation, that's the people that want to incorporate uh, Edgemont as a village uh, a number of times – is there, besides like the, the town supervisor, among the people um, of Greenberg, is there an anti-incorporation faction? Certainly. I certainly talk to residents not only of Greenberg, but also specifically of the Edgemont neighborhood who are against incorporation. Uh, I'd be in, I think the entire town board, which is the supervisor and four other members, is against incorporation. Uh, but the people who vote in the referendum, if one is held, will be just the residents of Edgemont, not all of Greenberg. So uh, they're the ones whose uh, opinion is maybe most significant when it comes to deciding this issue. The other implication of that quote uh, for me is the extent to which uh, uh, race may play into uh, these decisions. And that gets an interesting twist later on in the article when you really dig into how this exemption happened um, in Albany. But can you first just talk about the demographics of Greenberg versus Edgemont in terms of racial makeup? Yes. So Greenberg is fairly diverse. There's a significant uh, black population. There, I think there has been for a while. There's a significant Hispanic population. Those groups are present in the Edgemont section of the town, too, but in, in a much, much smaller amount. Uh, it's more white, and then there's a, uh, a pretty large Asian minority in Edgemont. So you definitely do get sort of a demographic difference between these two areas. So the the deal that led to to Edgemont getting um, a pretty particular exemption and and it's a long one too. This is for the next what is it? Fourteen years? Sixteen years, yeah. Sixteen years. So until uh, twenty forty. Um, but ba basically, they got they got uh, um, Stuart Cousins uh, uh, actually made the deal herself for this. And I think it's really interesting how this happens. So Andrea Stewart Cousins is the majority leader of the state Senate, you know, one of the very powerful people in Albany. And she represents 
all of Greenberg, including Edgemont. And she was putting forward this bill to create these more stringent requirements, requiring a study, creating this new state board that you have to get approval from if you want to start a village, and, you know, really sort of examine, holding it up to the light more closely, you could say. And Edgemont, the, the pro-incorporation people at Edgemont were really not happy with this. And so they went to their assembly member, you know, Stuart Cousins is in the Senate, so they went to their member in the assembly, Amy Pollan, who represents Edgemont, but not the rest of Greenberg, only Edgemont, the part that wants to incorporate, and they said, can you do something about this? She, she's been around a long time. She's senior. She has a lot of sway. And so she got the assembly leadership to say, well, you could pass that bill in the Senate, but we're not going to pass it in the assembly unless you exempt Edgemont. And Andrea Stewart-Cousins basically took that deal. And without, as, at least as I heard it, without the input of the assembly member for the rest of Greenberg and without the input of the town leaders, like the local town, the town supervisor and the town board of Greenberg, who only found out about it months after the fact. So basically, Andrea Stewart-Cousins, Amy Paulin, and the legislative leadership cut this deal that the more local representatives weren't aware of until long after it was signed and sealed. And, and I want to continue on that story, but I just got to ask you about one thing that you said in there, which is Assembly Member Amy Poland. So her resistance to this wasn't just that they were going to lose her vote. She actually persuaded other senior Assembly members uh, to say they wouldn't vote for it unless Edgemont got an exemption. Is that what you're saying? That, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. And I think this is a really interesting thing about how Albany works is that often if they can make a compelling case for it to key players, single legislators can hold up bills that there may be a broader constituency for. But if the right legislate, legislator wants to stand in the way of it, they can. And people that I talked to from Greenberg were saying to me, there's 150 members of the assembly like, how come this one gets to hold it up? And that's that, frankly, is just the way that Albany works sometimes. And uh, and then Andrea Stewart Cousins in your article, the next step in this story that I want to highlight is that uh, she actually went to Greenberg uh, town board meeting and basically said, look, you know, I can pass what I need to pass in the Senate, but I can't pass what I want in the assembly, essentially saying that she had to take this deal. Yeah, and that's what her her communications director said to me as well. The case that they were making was basically, this is a good law to have in place for the state. The only way to get it passed was to agree to this exception, and we thought that was worth it. What that doesn't answer is why the assembly member, her name is Mary Jane Shimsky, representing the rest of Greenberg and the Greenberg town supervisor and town board, weren't looped into the contents of the deal until months later. Because there were even after they struck the deal, there were still some particulars to hammer out. And the people involved in hammering that out were Stuart Cousins, Paulin, actually some of the citizens of Edgemont who hired a lobbyist to lobby legislators on what that final deal would look like. They spent over $12,000 on, on lobbying. Uh, so they were involved. But the local assembly member and the local elected officials were not involved, which I think is a very interesting choice. Yeah. And um, 
And then there's also how does a bill that's been passed get changed after it's been passed? There's a mechanism that allows that to happen? Yes, and this is another very strange thing about the way Albany works that we actually reported on recently um, at, at New York Focus. It's called a, a chapter amendment. And basically what it is, is when the, go- when the governor gets the bill, you know, we have, we have like, like in, at the federal level, we have the system where the legislature passes a bill and it goes to the governor for a signature or veto. She can also do a third thing. She can do what's called a chapter amendment, which is to say, I approve this bill on condition that such and such changes are made. And often, she'll, if there's some part of a bill that she doesn't like, she'll go to legislative leadership or she'll go to the bill sponsors and say, I'll sign your bill, but only if you make these changes that I want. Otherwise, I'm going to veto it. And then they have to decide, would they prefer to get it vetoed and try again, or would they prefer to have her sign it and but not get all of what they wanted? It's very sort of... Uh, Secretive. No, what what is in the process of negotiating these deals is not public. What's in these deals isn't public until often weeks or even months after they're signed. And that's how it is that the Greenberg Town Board and the assembly member didn't know about this until months after it had happened. And uh, I mean, I think there's a sense in which it's anti-democratic because I think most of us would say the process of legislating is supposed to take place in public view and give people the opportunity to weigh in. And this is a part of that process that can involve really significant changes to laws that have been passed by people's elected representatives without anyone getting a chance to weigh in or share their opinion of it. Now, let's continue with uh, Andrew Stewart-Cousins' comments uh, at that board meeting. Um, she gave an interesting uh, bit of perspective of why she doesn't want to prevent Edgemont from seeking incorporation again. Can you tell us what that yeah. is? Yeah. Yeah. So the, 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 the quote, the quote that, that appears in this article, I, I listened to the whole town town meeting, and this was, this was I, thought, I thought was one of the most interesting things she said. She said, I never like to pull the rug from under anyone or any entity that is following the law and change the rules in the middle of the game. As a black woman who has reached places and things get changed, it makes me uncomfortable. And the, the first point about, you know, keeping the rules the same for these, these people who have been involved in this process for years was something that I heard from a bunch of different players in this story. The second point, I think, is obviously personal to her. Right. Um, but I couldn't help but contrast that comment from the one that the town supervisor had brought up earlier, just pointing out that there there is this racial disparity between uh, Edgemont and the rest of Greenberg. Yeah, that, that is an interesting point to make. Um, so what actually – well, first off, this article was first published two weeks ago. Has anything happened since you published it? Not that I have heard of. I mean, the, the, you know, the exemption was finally passed into law and signed by the governor. So that's in place now. I, I think the pro incorporation side is planning to move forward with their effort, but I haven't heard any updates from the folks that I had talked to since this story came out. You know, I've been, I've been working on, on other, other things besides a, a, a two or three square mile neighborhood in Westchester and what's happening there. 
Another step uh, in this process is there's an independent consulting firm that's studying the effect of Edgemont Incorporating and what that effect would have on the larger town of Greenberg. Um, but you, and this is at the very end of the article, you cite another pr- provision that kind of puts a caveat on that uh, uh, study that's still to come. Can you explain that one to us? Yeah, so part of the law that applies everywhere except Edgemont is that there has to be a study, it's actually two studies, about the, the fiscal effect that incorporating a village would have. Would it be bad for the village? Would it be bad for the town? And if a state board looks at the study and says, says this doesn't make fiscal sense, it can't proceed. In Edgemont, there is currently being conducted a study of these same questions. What effect would incorporation have on the town of Greenberg and on the potential village of Edgemont? But the unique thing about Edgemont's exception from this law is that this study cannot be used as a cause to reject the incorporation effort. So whatever it finds, it could find that it would work totally fine for everyone and then okay, or it could find that there would be very negative effects on the town of Greenberg and the services it's able to provide if Edgemont incorporates. But even if it finds that, the uh, incorporation opponents can't then point to it and say, okay, so we're not going to do this. So then my final question for you then real quick is uh, it sure seems like Edgemont's gotten another shot at incorporation. It's gotten it's got the opportunity to have multiple shots uh, until 2040. Uh, Does that mean its incorporation is essentially a done deal? I mean, they've tried twice recently and both times they've been thrown out by, you know, not even by the town of Greenberg, but by independent courts. And I don't think there's any guarantee that it would be more successful the, the third or fourth time. Uh, that said, I'm not <laughs> I'm not a, a, an expert on the you know the precise way to draw up a legal legal village incorporation petition. So maybe maybe they've they've learned from those experiences and will will uh, you know uh, fix whatever got them disqualified last time. And if it goes to a vote. I talk to people who are for the incorporation in Edgemont. I talk to people who are against it in Edgemont. So uh, I don't think anyone has polled that question yet. So I think we would have to see what happens. Sam Mellons is a senior reporter at New York Focus. The article we've been talking about is New Village Law and How One Wealthy Neighborhood Got Excel got itself exempted from state law. You can find it now on our website, wjffradio.org, also up at nysfocus.com. Sam, thank you for joining us again. Thank you, Jason. Always fun. And um, this is The Local Edition. You're listening to The Local Edition, winner of Excellence in Broadcasting Awards from the New York State Broadcasters Association. Radio Catskill. Listen local. Sullivan O&W Rail Trail Alliance is having the Snow and W event uh, coming up on Saturday, February 24th. It started in 2020 as a snowshoe fun run and uh, rotated locations each year to feature a different segment of the Sullivan O&W Rail Trail. Uh, Radio Catskills' Patricio Rabio spoke to Heather Jaxey from Sullivan County Planning earlier about this event. I think it started because... We've been thinking about winter events in Sullivan County for a long time, you know, trying to make ourselves less seasonal when it comes to 
people coming out and enjoying what we have to offer. And because Shannon Salento is a snowshoe marathoner, <laughs> I don't know if that's the word for it, but, and we were working on developing the O&W, it just popped in my mind one day, the snow and W, let's do a snowshoe event in the winter to get people out on the trail and show that, you know, it's enjoyable all times. You mentioned the year 2020 when this started. This is take back folks back. This is during the pandemic. So I guess oh, it was, was right it before, right before. Okay. It was right before. Okay. <laughs> yeah. How has the pandemic, if it changed, did it affect the, the other events after that? So we weren't really affected by yeah. COVID other than we didn't have it that year. And yeah, because we were outside after that. But I can say that COVID did affect the use of the trail. Everybody did want to go outside. And as everybody seems to know, the outdoor facilities and parks and stuff got a lot more use that year. And use has actually stayed up for most of them, though not the pandemic high. Right. I remember it being promoted as a sort of a safe way to get out and get healthy and also see other people. I remember heading out to the real trail during the pandemic and seeing people I haven't seen in a while. I was like, oh, how are we doing? And it was safe, you know, we spaced out apart from each other. So for someone who has never been to an event like this, how would you describe it? It's an opportunity to go outside with people in the winter and explore new trails or, you know, revisit old ones. It's just some people need that extra push to get outside with their boots and their coats and mittens on. Yeah. In the press release, it mentions that the snow event rotates each year. Mm -hmm. uh, why is it important to feature the different segments of the Sullivan O&W Rail Trail? Um, because we are in the middle of developing it. At the end of the day, we're going to have a 50-mile-long rail trail. But right now, we've got 25-plus miles in different chunks. So we want to highlight them and show off what we have as we build and connect. Right. And and for the one you're having it uh, in this February 24th is at the Hurleyville Rail Trail, which is a really smooth-level trail. And it's a great historic trail because it has signage along the way explaining what the use was before it became a rail trail. Yes, John Conway did a great job interpreting that section of trail. But uh, the rail trails are always kind of level. The engines couldn't go much over a certain grade. So if you go on a rail trail anywhere in the country, you're pretty much guaranteed something relatively flat, which is nice. And that does help you get out, especially if you're worried about getting your footing and climbing hills. So tell us more what folks need to know before they hit the... The rail trail is 24th and snow. If there is yeah. snow there. Hopefully there'll be snow. <laughs> um, but if not, it's still nice to get out. We don't have a rain or snow date. We're just going to go for it. So it's important when you go outside in the winter that you have the appropriate gear. And that means making sure that you're warm, you get your hat and mittens and a suitable coat. You know, you have to prepare for the weather and then it makes it more enjoyable to be outside. We are offering foot gear. If you come and show up early, you can borrow a set of snowshoes or a set of micro spikes that will help you along the trail. The trail is not roomed or maintained for winter snow. So if it's snowed and melted and snowed again, you can find ice and, and stuff, but wearing micro spikes. All right. So you can, rent my, uh, you can borrow micro spikes or, or snowshoes uh, if you're the first ones there. Or if you're there a little bit later, you can rent them or you might want to purchase them because you love it so much. <laughs> but if you have your own, you should bring them. Uh, uh, or holes to help people maintain their balance. Yeah, I could definitely tell you the ice spikes do help in, in walking in the winter, especially uh, 
may not realize you think it's snow or something like that and be solid ice. The first 20 people arriving who needs equipment will receive the choice of free snowshoe and micro spikes rental depending on upon the trail conditions. Um, you also seen just being off the press release here, the snowshoe rentals will be available at this kind of rate of $12 to Fortress Bikes and Morgan Outdoors, which is now located in Hurleyville. They're great partners. And and that's what, you know, great that this real trail is happening because that's what I'm noticing around the heads of the trails, all these businesses that are popping up. Mm-hmm. Mountain has a cider tracks rentals there, the bike trail uh, mm-hmm. rental there. Also now it's happening also in Hurleyville. There's a bike rental there uh, for yep. folks to rent bikes and to go out and enjoy uh, uh, the trail that way. Yes. And we are actually working on trail etiquette too, because as more people go out and use the trail, we want to make sure that there are, are any use problems people on bicycles versus people on foot we don't want that kind of friction and there are great rules that already exist as long as you know about them that keep people safe and able to enjoy at the same time where can folks get more information if they want so we have a website it's sullivan o a n d w dot com and we also have an instagram account and a facebook page so we try and keep all those updated with our events and also updates on where we're making progress in trail development and how anybody who wants to help can come out and help us. Absolutely. Looking at the website now, I see they have a map, uh, you know, mapping up the whole rail trail and how it connects to each other. It's be really great when this actually comes to fruition and has a natural trail that connects all the way to Parksville. It's fantastic. Yes. Well, it'll go all the way to Livingston Manor. Oh, Livingston Manor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah oh, you're right. Yeah, Livingston Manor. I didn't see that. Sorry about that. <laughs> well, that's because we only have sections to Parksville right now. So right. Our, the map that we put out right now only has mammocating to Parksville. But the next one we're going to put out will have more because we're working with all the towns and they're working hard to make all the connections. Rockland is now working on their sections. Very exciting. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Heather, before we go, is there anything else I have not touched on you want folks to know before we go? Sure. We we do have four events. We call them our signature events throughout the year. So keep your eye. If you can't make the Snow and W, we'll have a National Trails Day event in the spring. Go out anytime. Just go and explore them. Find out where they are. Take a look. There's nice little places you can go before and after at most of our sections, which is, you know, make a day of it. That was Heather Jaxey uh, from Sullivan County Planning speaking to Patricio Rubio earlier about the Snow and W event coming up on February 24th. Well, that's it for the local edition tonight. I've been your host, Jason Dole. Thank you so much for listening. Do keep listening on air and always live streaming online at WJFFradio.org. <laughs>